The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Escovito. Today, my special guest is a friend of mine, Dr. Jane Horn. She is the founder of the Horn Group. She has expertise in building inclusive and engaged work environments. Jane has worked in Asia and around the world for more than 20 years. She has um, worked for companies such as Kraft Foods, the Walt Disney Company, and CNBC in talent and leadership development roles. Jane, welcome to Lead Conversations today. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Well, it's great to have you here again. I like that you came back to talk to us again. We had you a couple of years ago, and um, since then, you have published a new book, which we want to talk about today, How Asian Women Lead, Lessons for Global Corporations. And, you know, Jane, you're in Singapore today, right? Yeah, I'm in Singapore. Nice, warm, sunny Singapore. Nice and warm. (laughs) Well, that's a good thing. Well, now, you've lived in Singapore for a long time. You've made it your home and your family's home for a long time. And um, I know I have met you in other places around the world and in Europe. The last time I believe we were together, we were in Europe. And um, I find your life fascinating because you have... Um, spent a lot of time in higher education. You have done a lot of research around what it takes for organizations and people in organizations to be successful. And today you spend your life living in an Asian environment and teaching the rest of the world what you have learned and have learned via research in the Asian environment. So let's talk, let's start by talking a little bit about your book, How Asian Women Lead, Lessons for Global Corporations. So tell us why you decided to write this book. Yeah, um, so thanks for that intro. One of the things that I wanted to add is not only was it research, but um, what I've done, um, actually reflecting on what you said, I, I write about the research, but I actually write about my life for the past 20 years of working inside organizations, mm-hmm. cross-cultural organizations, helping organizations become inclusive, which is becoming more challenging as you know, as as we as we become more and more diverse. So it's not only cultures, but there's generational diversity and you know uh, functional diversity and all of that. So why I wrote it was this: I spent um, six years going back to school to get a PhD in leadership and leadership education, and I really wanted to focus on women. And my professor said, "Why don't you focus on Asian women since you've been here for so long?" 
So I did, and I, what was fascinating to me was just going, my, my work enables me to travel across these multiple cultures that I write about, which is absolutely wonderful. So I started interviewing, and actually my research is done through storytelling, which is mm. um, tell me about a time that this happened, and tell me about a time that that happened, and I pull it all together and weave in historical elements and cultural elements. And I thought that organizations really need to understand from the point of view of a woman and from the point of view of where they sit inside that culture. But that, that word culture is becoming more and more complicated. Right. Um, and we could talk about that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I absolutely agree with you. The, the whole concept of what is culture these days and the need for organizations or, you know, even someone who's not in an organization but simply lives in our world today needing to be able to um, access and communicate with different cultures of people who live in culture other than one's own, um, whether it's regarding, um, you know, a, a product or a service or it's regarding some engagement when you are visiting another country. Um, it, it doesn't really matter. It's about developing a sensitivity that the world isn't all like me kind of a thing, right? And exactly. we've talked about this for so many years, and um, and the focus in corporations for a long time was on the concept of diversity. And it seems that that has shifted a bit to more toward what you're talking about, which is understanding um, how to be in a world filled with people who aren't just like who you are, no matter who you are in the world, right? So why do you think the shift occurred? Uh, why do I think the shift occurred? Or I guess the question would be, has the shift occurred? So I... Um, my belief is that the world has shifted dramatically, and, and, and of course, this is my bias. I believe that the world has shifted towards Asia after the 2008 financial crisis. Yeah. And so yeah. an organization moved to, well, they've been here for a long time, but they really sort of looked at Asia and said, aha, uh-huh, here's, here's our moment, you know, here's where there's a lot of expansion going on as some other parts of the developing world kind of shrink a little bit. And it ebbs and flows, economies ebb and flows around the world. But So I think they shifted everything to Asia. And, um, and, and, and if we look at Asia, it has half the world's population, which, you know, even when I say that, it, it astounds me that I live here. And then if you look across the different countries, you have – different cultures across Asia. I mean, even if you look at, say, India alone, you have multiple, yeah. you know, diversity within one yeah. one country. So I think the world has shifted. I think demographics have shifted. I think the external, you know, environment has shifted. But I'm not so certain if organizations have shifted. And uh-huh. that's really what I grapple with in this book. And I also experienced it myself in doing these interviews that I had this kind of framework of what someone from – one culture should answer or be like, which I, I should have known differently, right? So I found myself tripping over the same problems. Mm. Well, and, and what is an example of some of those problems? What is an example of, of, a, of a problem for myself before an organization? Yeah, yeah. So here's what I found. So, and these are, and I write a lot about multicultural challenges or unconscious bias. So, so someone comes into an organization and say they're from, 
I don't know, say they're from Taiwan, and, and we, assume, or, or we assume, okay, people from Taiwan are like this, right? And, and the, the beauty of cross-cultural is we get to learn about different cultures, and it's lovely, and anthropology and all that's fabulous, right? We're, we're quite intrigued by it. But once we start building in those stereotypes that, that we learn, right, okay, people from Taiwan do this, and they do this, and this is how they talk, then when we, we go into an organization, we either expect that and think, well, you know, you're supposed to be an, you know, an indirect communicator versus a, a direct communicator. And if, if that person acts the opposite, we're taken back, and we, and we think, well, this is not right. Or... The other side of it is we think everybody, say we come from, you know, a bank in New York, and we think everybody is like the bankers in New York. And so we, when people are, don't communicate in the same manner, we're like, well, that sometimes it will equate to a weak style of leadership, or they're not certain what they want to say. So both have challenges, both have bias, and we have to be able to stop our habitual patterns of thinking, which is which is, doesn't mm. sound like it's hard to do, but actually what it takes is just to reflect. And mm. how often do we reflect? Right. Well, yes. <laughs> Especially in today's fast-moving world. Um, exactly. But, you know, I think, I think that, that um, developing that as a skill is key in leadership today, right? That, that capacity to self-reflect in the moment, right? To be so aware of oneself so that, you know, I as a leader can be in a conversation with someone, anyone, and be very clear about not only listening to the words or participating in the conversation, but also how am I perceiving this person? What are some assumptions that I might be holding that might be getting in my way of hearing this in a certain way? That is a real skill, and it takes a lot of intention, and it takes a lot of um, discipline. Do you teach your execs to do this? Mm, that's a great question. <laughs> and I was pushed a lot when I was writing this book, um, which I give credit to the editors and actually other people that I had to read it in the process, because I talk about reflexivity, which is slightly different, and it could be an academic point of view of re being reflexive, right? So it's being able to look at yourself. You look internally and externally at the same time, which is actually how you beautifully articulated it. Do I teach it? I don't. I really wish I could, um, and maybe that's another work stream I could look at. Um, I think it's hard. I think it's really, really hard, yeah. exactly the way you described it. And I think it's hard for a couple reasons. Actually, one of the biggest reasons is we're exactly what you said. The world is so fast-paced. We have to make decisions at every second. And so how do we take the time to be in the moment, listen to that conversation, while also withholding judgment? Really tough to do. Really, really tough mm -hmm. to do. But if we don't do it, we're going to keep making the same mistakes. It was easy for me because I was doing... I started six years ago. When I started writing these stories, it was, it was like two or three years, right, of interviewing and writing stories. I had the luxury of time to sit back and read yeah. these stories over and over again. Not every executive has that time. Did you find yourself, um, well, I mean, I have no doubt that you learned about yourself because you, you are constantly learning about who you are. You, that's just a habit you have, and which I appreciate about you very much. And... Um, my guess is you learned some things about yourself in 
even going into and then doing this research, that even surprised you. Is that true? Yeah. So what is absolutely beautiful, I think, about any piece of research um, is that you, you, you do you bring yourself into it, right? But what was what was beautiful about narrative inquiry, which is the method I use, which is just storytelling, um, you have to bring yourself into the, into the process, and you're constantly challenging yourself, or you're seeing yourself in that research. So, um, what surprised me. And what mm-hmm. I've written about is I went into this research at, after being in Asia for 20 years and actually doing a lot of research and study in China, studying the language and the culture. And I, too, was shocked by my very American view of looking yeah. at someone. But it caught me off guard, and I thought, here I am. I'm thinking I'm this multicultural. Like I, and I found myself doing the exact same things that I saw mm-hmm executives in the West or from Europe doing and that I would kind of giggle at when I was in organizations. And I was, I was doing the same thing they were doing. So that was shocking to me. So in a sense, you, you, cut, you uncovered some of your own unconscious biases, right? Absolutely. And that's why yeah. I wrote extensively about it and kept questioning myself. And fascinatingly enough, my uh, supervisors on my dissertation really, really questioned me on this term bias and didn't agree with putting that part in. Um, so I argued mm. vehemently against it, that it needed to be very much part of this research. Well, it's interesting. Why would they not, what was their reasoning for uh, having concern about the word bias? I see, there's, you know, it's almost like the word politics. It's, it has a, a uh, connotation, yeah. right? And so people think, Oh, well, you know, they immediately go to judgments and discriminatory, which you do in any amount of research. But I think it actually had to do with the process or the philosophy I was working under. So I'm a called a postmodern theorist. And so we believe whatever happens, happens, and you can't put a label on anything. And just by labeling unconscious bias, my professors didn't necessarily agree with this. I had to argue the point. Actually, they had to do a lot of research. Did other narrative inquiries find the same thing? And indeed, they did. So um, so I was safe in that point. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do remember when you wrote your previous book titled I wish I'd known that earlier in my career, the power of positive workplace politics. I remember that you did take a lot of heat around the concept of workplace politics. And then there was the heat around making politics positive, as if, you know, there's no way to do that because politics is a dirty word. So, you know, are you still getting that feedback about that book? Absolutely, and and I think in hindsight, had I not been so strident that it needed to be discussed, I probably would have called it a different name because I do think that I miss opportunities at uh, inside organizations because they don't like that word. Like they're drawn to that word, but then they don't like that word. So yeah. some organizations I've called it understanding social capital and networks and things like that. But yeah, there's just there's just you know, this visceral dislike to that word, and I was on the path to change people's minds, but I don't know if I have yet. Yeah, 
Interesting. Well, you know, that really speaks to the whole issue of language, how we language something. And that, of course, is significant when we're talking about um, different cultures. Um, I mean, sometimes it's significant just uh, among age generations or among um, gender groups or um, people who have differing political beliefs, you know, because language has power and connotation. And so it must be so, it must be just loaded when we're now talking about a major cultural difference, right? I mean, how do you make this work? Yeah, the what I what I, and to say if there's one huge learning, what I learned is the language piece, um, and specifically words and how words don't translate equally across cultures. But what I mean by that is there's a feeling for words, and there's a you know there's beautiful stories on how Eskimos have I don't know 72 words for snow or something and but, but what I found is different words have different feelings and those feelings are not necessarily the same that we would have in the West like one word was ambition which is a fascinating word for me because Sheryl Sandberg talks about it a lot but I found yeah. across some of the cultures in Asia this word had a there was a visceral dislike for this word and so how do you get around that if you're telling people to be ambitious and talk about your ambitions when mm. I don't like that word, you know? So I, right. I, I thought that was fascinating. Right, right. It's almost like the word politics. Well, we yeah. have more to talk about. <laughs> we have more to talk about with Dr. Dana Rand when we come right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind. With host Chris Cooper, you'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. 
800-242-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Escobedo with my very special guest, Dr. Jane Horan. Jane, you have um, written and the book has just been released, How Asian Women Lead Lessons for Global Corporations, and you talk about the concept of unconscious bias, which we all, if we're paying attention, we know we have, and um, sometimes it surprises us a lot. Um, And how do you... How do you teach people to break through bias? You know, I mean, it just seems like it's such a complicated issue. It is. It's complicated. Um, it's compl- You know, it's funny. It's one of those things that's complicated and simple at the same time. Um, yeah. I do ex- exactly exactly what I do in this book. I tell stories. So uh, it's funny you should ask this question because I'm going this evening to give a, a session on unconscious bias to a major, to, a, to a, a consumer products company. And so what I'll start out is I'll just start telling stories. And I'll, first I'll say, you know, what is bias and get people to feel at ease because we all have it, it which helps us get through the day. It's our natural proclivity to act, right? So when it becomes negative is when we pick one group over the other. So I'll show a series of pictures and I'll say, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And then I'll, I'll, as the story unfolds, they'll start to see how they might be biased by looking at a picture in a very different way. And so I, that, that's how I teach it. And I do a lot of storytelling, and then I bring it down to some organizational components that might make people feel just mm. a little bit uncomfortable, or they might say, mm. oh, I've done that. And then that's where the learning comes in. And that's where the learning comes in. So um, have you ever had... Anyone in a corporation, when you're having this conversation with them, say, well, that's just not true for me. I'm completely unbiased, and this is not a problem. You're him. I've had the, the most, I, you know, I think I love doing these sessions because uh, you never know what's going to happen. Um, so- right. I've had somebody where I walked into a room, it's a big session, there are about 50 executives in the room, and in the middle of the room, this person crossed their arms. And as I tell my story that I have this American voice, but I spent 20 years in Asia, he stood up and said, first of all, I don't know what you're doing here, telling us a story, you don't know Asia at all, so obviously didn't listen to my first part of my introduction, but secondly... Just got really upset with what I was saying, but the mm-hmm. real message in that it wasn't that he was attacking me or anything. And and actually, the real it, it gets back to your earlier point. If you deeply listen, the real message on that was, what's in it for me? How are how are mm-hmm. you going to help me if I have to now start hiring all these mm-hmm. different people? Where's my job going? And that Mm -hmm. was the real message. And so I I believe in bias a lot of times that what we have to do is get beneath the surface of the word and understand what's happening with that individual and why are they so nervous about it, right? So, Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I've had a lot of incredible reactions, a lot of stories that you would think, really? It's 2013. Are people really seeing You know, saying these things about women yeah. and different cultures. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty fascinating. You know, and I love that, you know, you that's really practicing what you're trying to help people understand is that um, 
know, what you see on the surface is not necessarily how things really are. And so being able to um, make the inquiry go go deeper, be able to um, actually help somebody understand you know, how, how they think themselves even, right, requires us to be open and able to see differently. So how can we do that if we don't know ourselves well or if we don't have some sort of practice that allows us to check in with ourselves? And I just think this is incredibly complicated and um, you're doing such a service to be able to, to bring this to light for people, even if it doesn't absolutely solve everybody's issues all the time, you know, we're, we're still human, we're going to be doing this stuff, but, you know, it takes courage to step up and say what people don't want to hear, and that's a lot of what you're doing. So, you know, your book, title is How Asian Women Lead and Lessons for the Global Corporation. What lessons are most critical for the global corporations? What do you hope that they got out of this book? What I hope that corporations uh, get out of this book is to be able to um, see the world, know that the world is not seen the way they see it, right? So leave, read the book and, go, and, and say, I understand now that people don't see the world the same way I do. The other thing is, while we all have our own bias, and I, and I do think you're right, it's, it's a complicated process and it causes us to reflect, one of the biggest challenges um, that, I, that I have uncovered is it's, it, this bias is embedded in organizational systems and processes. And I would absolutely mm. love it if somebody put down the book and said, I'm now going to go back and rethink how I'm recruiting, rethink how I'm doing these performance reviews, rethink how we're how we are who who we're putting on the talent plan and who are we selecting as leaders. If if we could just get into the organizational systems and understand that leadership is actually skewed towards the West but yet we're building these platforms globally and start questioning the systems inside organizations, then I think, then I think the book has done its job. Because you know, we could talk about unconscious bias and multiculturalism from an individual perspective all day long, but the real deep-seated issues are inside organizations, and they're not mm. being addressed. Mm. Well, and isn't it to the organization's advantage to learn how to do this, especially today? Absolutely, but what you have, and this could be my bias. What, what, so when I worked at Disney, we re, we reworked competency frameworks across the organization of you know, the multiple businesses of Disney, and I was shocked at how the different business segments would hold on to their competency frameworks. Mm. So, so now it's the same thing. If you go into any you know company X, they have a competency framework, and they've been using it for who knows how long. And and they'll say, well, this has always helped us select our leaders. So they haven't even taken that step up to go, well, maybe there's something wrong in this process that we need to change. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's what I I guess I think it gets back to reflecting and and questioning to say, how can we do this better? But I I haven't seen anybody, and I hope I'm wrong, 
there's a lot of work on unconscious bias, and mostly it's at the individual level, but the next step is going deep into the organization and asking, what could we be doing better here? And I don't think they're doing yeah. it. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, as you say that, it makes me think about what's going on in uh, many organizations around the world today between generations. And yeah. as I as I think about um, how a, let's say, 20-something um, wants to work or wants to be um, appreciated or wants to learn, and I think about how a 40-something or a 50-something who may be a hiring manager or somebody in charge of a product development, et cetera, um, is turning and looking at that 20-something-year-old person and saying, having a lot of bias around how, well, they're only 20 and they don't know, or they expect too much and they need to get over it, or, um, you know, no, I am not going to go online to look at their resume. I want them to send me a piece of paper. Um, you know, I mean, it, it, it's, there's all of that that's going on these days, right? And so even that is about bias. And even that is built into systems and organizations. And, you know, to me that seems like some of the simplest and perhaps um, least, I don't know, dangerous, shall we, call, shall we say, um, of, of things that need to get done in an organization. Um, you would think there would be less emotional charge around things like technology around that. But, no, you know, it's... <laughs> it's still affecting the way organizations are functioning. And so even in that, we have to look at where's our bias. And I don't think most people would think about that in terms of the hiring process. Because they mostly... Yeah, right? um, So I... um, I don't think I talk about it in the book, but there's there's a lot on multi-generational... So there's multi... Diversity, you know, has the, the big D of diversity and and multi-generational work work environments are are part of that. And I, I don't think ever before, I did some recent things, that we've had this many different generations and different thinking styles in the workplace, which that in itself is incredibly powerful, but it's only powerful if you know how to include these groups. So exactly what you said is, is really true, is, is there's a bias um, about uh, the, the kind of generational differences that, well, you know, we did it this way, so why can't they do it that way? Um, yet, and, and I, I, I do believe this is where one of them is uh, almost on feedback, right? So if you look at the gaming community, the online gaming world, these, these fabulous communities, and I know some people look at them negatively. I actually read a lot about it for my research and found incredibly powerful elements on community building. Yeah links to leadership, yeah. links to performance reviews. So so organizations who are savvy would, would be able to say, let's kind of let's almost evaluate this community. Let's do an anthropological study and figure out what they want so we can we can deliver on that. There's some really powerful correlations between women and the millennial generation of being able of searching for meaningful work. And and um, mm. in the course of doing my research, what I found with the four women is they were all looking. I mean, they all demanded meaningful work, and if the work wasn't meaningful for them, whatever that means, they would leave. 
The same thing is true with the millennial generation. There's lots of quantitative data on this saying not only do they want meaningful work, but they want to start their jobs with meaningful work. So if organizations aren't aware of that, they're losing incredible uh, talent, right? Or um, so, yeah. I think there's a whole lot around bias in the multi generations. Wow, and that's pretty fascinating. You know, I really want to understand: um, Do Asian women lead in a different way than, say, Asian men? Um, you know, I can ask this question a lot. Sometimes when I'm doing unconscious bias sessions, I didn't necessarily compare men and women. What I took the format of was transformational leadership, and there's a lot, lots of connections to women in transformational leadership. And what I mean by that is a leadership that's collaborative and builds community and looks for deep commitments and is more concerned about uh, it's concerned about the profit and loss, but concerned about community. So there's some nice, really feminine values that this leadership style is actually very androgynous. Mm-hmm. So I looked at that component. Where I found the differences is not necessarily between men and women, uh, Asian, Asian men, Asian women. The differences I found is between uh, sort of Asian women and North American women. But they're very, they're ever so slight. Mm-hmm. And, and there's another researcher who talks about the culture of gender, and I think she's spot on with that, is that women have these similarities globally, which is why the conference that you and I met at at Lynn, you know, this communal, this connectivity, all of that, that it kind of easily yeah. spreads across cultures. Um, but the difference is it has a lot to do with family and, and what family means in Asia versus what family needs in North America. That's the difference that I found. Hmm. I think that's pretty fascinating. So do you think that um, the – well, what is the difference? I mean, you know, we have all these stereotypical um, understandings of the Asian culture, you know, being um, more soft-spoken, um, being more community-minded, um, being less confrontational. Um, is that are those the kinds of things that you found? So what I found that was um, um, powerful is like I went in with this framework of transformational leadership. I didn't test for it. I just kind of asked different questions, and I even grapple with using that framework in saying is this is this the framework comes from James McGregor Burns in North America. So I talk about that a lot, but what I found is this really connected sense of leadership. There were two things that I found that would just blew me away. One was spirituality, and what I mean by spirituality is there some of the women I interviewed were deeply spiritual, not necessarily related to religion. Mm-hmm. And that actually equated, when I started teasing that out, that was about meaningful work and making a difference in mm-hmm. their communities or whatever that community was. And I thought that was powerful. The second thing was this connected leadership, and it was about, it's not about work-life balance, it's work-life integration. So my family becomes part of what I do, but when I say family, I don't mean partner or children, I mean aunts and uncles and help and all of that, Mm -hmm. and that makes a whole lot of sense to me because I've lived and worked here, but also it makes a whole lot of sense that this was the sustaining power of leadership because once you've got the family connected, 
in, in supporting you, then you're going to be able to sustain success. And that's what I think is the big difference between North American and Asian, because in North America, you have the nuclear family. And Sheryl Sandberg writes about this a lot, having a partner that's supportive. And I write about having a family that's supportive. Mm. Well, and just the sound of that seems like that would even make life easier. <laughs> you had a family. Yes. Right, you know, um, you you have multiple people and um, layers of support system um, versus simply a partner or a friend or a neighbor. Um, yeah. Well, we have more to talk about with Jane when we come right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexasaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Do you, like most Americans, spend the majority of your life at work? Are you making it the joy that it deserves to be, or are you feeling drained and unfocused? Tune in to A Great Place to Work with hosts Kurt Kaufman and Dr. Kathy Sorensen. Your hosts have more than 30 years of experience in workplace consulting and are ready to bring you the secrets and success stories of businesses who are making their business a great place to work. Listen every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy a better workplace and a better life. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Escobedo with my guest, Dr. Jane Warren, who's the author of How Asian Women Lead, Lessons for Global Corporations, and also the founder of the Horn Group with expertise in building inclusive and engaged work environments. So, Jane, this is fascinating to me. We just um, talked a little bit about the importance of work-life integration versus work-life balance, and you say that, you know, one of the differences that you've noticed um, between some cultures, a lot of the Asian culture versus the North American culture, for instance, is that they family is supportive of the person who's working and versus solely a partner. You know, we, we often talk about the partner support in, in North America, and um, you're saying that there's, it's a little bit more important in the Asian cultures that the family be supportive. And, you know, I, it seems to me that it would make things easier if the family is supportive because you have more people. You have layers of support versus simply one individual to rely upon. Um, and so you're saying that that actually contributed to um, 
some people's satisfaction. Yeah, so when I was, so doing interviews, so I interviewed about 40 or 50 women before I selected four to kind of go deep into their profiles. And what I found um, in doing these interviews was how the women um, sustained success was by having this integrated approach to family. So it's exa- So I thought the exact same thing that you just said is the fact that so I'm telling you a story about one woman I interviewed, running a, uh, looking for a big firm, uh, American firm, running one of their divisions, um, been there for quite some time, and she was a mother of either four or five, and she said for her, if her daughter got off at the bus stop, she didn't necessarily have, I mean, she did have help, which is quite common across a lot of the countries in Asia, Pac, to have um, nannies, have nannies, or they're called IEs or AMAs, right? But she said, yeah. you know, her uncle lived on that street, and so she would just call the uncle and say, can you pick up my daughter from this? And then another auntie would live on another street, and her mother lived with her. And so this connected group, she knew that she could call them at any time uh, to, to, to to be there for the family, right? And so... Right. I knew this. Like for me, it wasn't anything new, but as I was writing about it, I, I got it. Another woman in India told me she just had twins and was accepted to get a uh, an EMBA uh, in the United States, and she thought, I'll just have these twins. I, I probably can't leave. And her mother-in-law stepped in and said, no, you will be going to this. We'll take care of the family. We'll fly back and forth and make certain you see the boys, whatever. So... So it was this unraveling of that mm. family now becomes a support network rather than, yeah. like a lot of the quantitative research will say, oh, it's traditions and family that holds women back. And what I found is for women who can include this group that not only offered to sustain success, but made it more of an integrated, it wasn't a either or, like I go to work and now I have to go home and worry about my family. It was all mm. integrated. And I thought that was so powerful um, and, and quite different. Uh, and yeah, you would think it would make it easier than say if you compared it to say women in Germany that don't necessarily have that same support system and also have different regulations on schools. Well, you know, I, as you're saying this, um, and I'm thinking about how biases, once again, get formed, assumptions get made. Um, I had a client who um, had been, you know, on the fast track, really moving fast up leadership ranks, was getting more and more responsibility, um, had... A situation happened with one of her children, and her husband and she resolved it. It was not a problem. They they worked out, you know, how they were going to handle this situation. And then suddenly, some of her um, travel opportunities with clients um, started to disappear. And so she finally she said to um, the senior VP, "Why are you not giving me this opportunity to go?" to meet this client, this is a big deal. And he said, well, we wanted to not pressure you. We wanted to take the responsibility um, away so that you didn't feel so much pressure. We didn't want you to feel bad about having to go and having to say no. And 
in the in the spirit of trying to take quote care of her, right? <laughs> and she, of course, was furious, and then he didn't understand why she was furious. But they finally came to an understanding that, you know, don't make my decisions for me. Don't make assumptions about me. You know, let's have this conversation. I appreciate that you're trying to make my life easy. Um, that actually didn't. <laughs> so, I, again, you know, these biases that even as they are um, couched in this caring, positive, wanting to take care of someone else attitude, you know, it was still a bias that got in the way. Um, and so, you know, I wonder if just what you said, you know, somebody having the family who can take care of things, can help take care of things, you know, so what about that bias? But will that exist? And so, you know, we'll be able to um, make choices about that person who can go and do things. Maybe that's not that, even though that's the culture they come from, that's not their reality. Yeah, and I, I think that raises a really good point. Um, a lot of times, a lot of the well-intentioned, well-meaning things that we do um, are, are, yeah, are like, are, like you said, are fraught with, with a bias or assumptions we've made about this person. And and so it's almost exactly like you said is, why don't we just reach out to that person and ask them if this is what they want to do or if this is what they yeah. where they want to go or if this is going to help them. I've heard of these things um a lot. I've heard it on the other side too, where a woman that I was, I knew was a, I actually worked with as a banker, and was um, having a very difficult pregnancy. But she really wanted to keep her job and and keep moving ahead inside the bank. And her boss stepped in and said, "Let's let's just reassign some of your work for a while, and then you know after you get through this period, you know we'll put you back and you come back and you'll have you, you'll have this job and." And um, she was actually really happy that that happened and then uh, was going to have her second baby and the same thing happened when she had a very difficult pregnancy and the bo- her boss stepped in once again. She actually told this story in my unconscious bias class and she stood up and said, because of these two uh, times my boss stepped in, when I really needed somebody to step in and try to give me some advice or help or whatever, I will never leave this firm. And it was incredibly powerful, the stories that she told. So on both sides, but... He asked her, he said, Here, have you thought about this? He provided her different opportunities. So I think a lot of times some, we don't. I've also had it in my unconscious bias workshops, like you say, when people really earlier really asked me about what happens in these sessions. I've had people stand up and say, well, of course you know that after women have children, they don't want to work, which that's somebody's bias, right? And so I was in a workshop that was 50-50 women, and the women in the front of the room, I said, well, how would you answer that? And they stood up and share their stories with the person who said this. And so that's actually sometimes what's really nice about having, uh, uh, being, just being able to talk about these biases that people go, oh, really? I guess that was an outdated mindset or something I shouldn't, you know, shouldn't be thinking. Well, you know, I, I think that the point that all of us need to take here is that we, we need to not make assumptions about ourselves. You know, I mean, yeah. we can, it's easy to say, let's not make assumptions about other people. But the real key is not to make assumptions about ourselves and that we don't have biases. We can't make that assumption. And so 
So we need to be constantly paying attention to that, you know, how is what I know feeding into my choices, the way I engage, the, choice, the, the opportunities I offer to an individual, et cetera. Um, and, I, again, I think that that's, that's got to be the toughest, the absolute toughest. So when you um, think about where our world is going, you know, kind of the ever-changing fast pace, the um, cultural integration, you know, more and more the lines are blurred. Um, people are working with people all over the world. Um, oftentimes someone is given a leadership role um, to lead a division in a different country than they're from, and they are leading people who are not even from that country, but from now a three or four different countries, and here you have this global community, and, you know, what would you tell that leader, and then what would you tell a person who's a part of that team about their experience? Yeah, as I was listening to your question, I was reflecting on a lot of uh, different thoughts on culture and identity and the way the world is changing. Um, one of the things that uh, th that I really uh, grappled with or tried to dig deep on is this question of culture and identity. And um, I would say the first point is, yeah, if you're going to go to a different country to lead diverse teams or run a business or something, you do need to be aware of the country, the culture, the habits, and what's going on. But you also need to be aware that that might not be what that individual is on your team. And so, right. um, you know, it's almost like the work that, that you do is to uh, reflect and listen. And I, I'm a big one for listening to other people's stories. And, again, mm. that's, that's what I do. So take the time to listen to somebody else's story because what I have found in working across these organizations is a profile like this, a young Korean just out of just graduated from an MBA program, sort of spent the first primary years in Korea, high school years in the UK, um, uh, college years in the U.S., you know, went to an Ivy League MBA program, spent time in Spain to learn, uh, sorry, France to learn French, went over to China and learned Mandarin. So you have Korean, English, Chinese, and French speaker with the ability to work across all these cultures. Where would you say that person's from? As a matter of fact, asking that question, it, you know, some people would say, well, I'm from all these places, or I can move very easily across all these different uh, cultures, right? So it's really hard to detect, detect where are you from or wh wh where's home or what culture do you resonate with. And um, I found some interesting insights when I was writing my book on that from the women I was interviewing. Mm -hmm. But so I would say listen to the stories. And for the person on the team is also to also not make those assumptions. So I like that you asked that question because a lot of times we'll say, I'm working in Asia, right, for some big U.S. firms, and they'll send another expatriate over. Typically, Americans will send Americans over. So everybody on the team will start making some assumptions. But how do you know? How do you know that this person didn't – that they, too, weren't raised in China and spent a lot of their time in Europe, and, and their culture is – you know, they, they, they can – 
easily move across all cultures. So mm-hmm. don't make assumptions, listen to the stories, and ask a lot of questions. You know, and, and I guess it's the human-to-human contact, right? Instead of sort of putting a, a framework around the culture, just start looking at the individual. Absolutely. I, am, I absolutely agree with you because, you know, at the end of the day, that's what we have in common, right? We're all human beings, and we all have our stories. And, you know, I know you and I have both experienced that when we sit down with somebody, no matter where we are in the world, if we start sharing about who we are or kind of our personal life, we find that, you know, pretty pretty quickly we kind of drop into just being human beings. And, um, you know, we kind of move past some of the language barriers and some of those differences that seem so large uh, as we stand on the outside. When we sit down face-to-face, they don't seem that big, right? They don't seem that important. And so if we could just get to that, just get to that, right? It would be a big I also think when you start listening to stories, and again, I wish I could find a way to do this as quickly as organizations like to move. Is to you know, how do you how do you take the storytelling methodology and get people to listen in in nanosecond speed? But yeah, well, maybe I'll figure that out later. But the question is, when you start listening, I mean, the point is, when you start listening to stories, you start understanding people's values, you start learning more about their feelings and their motivation and what drives them. Mm. And to me, that's where you need to get to with leadership. It's not about the competency framework. It's not about putting, you know, different frames around what a leadership look. Look at the values and the motivations and the drivers of the individual, and that's when you're going to see the true leadership come out. And that's what I found with these women who probably would walk past you on the street and you, you, you know, you would blink and miss them. And they were just incredible leaders for what they were doing. Well, I love that. And part of why I love your book, it's a great read, um, How Asian Women Lead, Lessons for Global Corporations, is that the way you tell the story is really about the person. And so I absolutely love that. I know people are going to want to know more about you, Jane, and your book. And I know you're going to be in Washington, D.C. soon. And um, So how can people learn more about you? Through my website, um, it's just thehorangroup.com, my last name, H-O-R-A-N. And um, I write a lot about unconscious bias, and I write a, I'm, I'm actually collaborating with an, another woman. We're going to start writing stories about stories, so it's going to be called mm-hmm. Story Force. And mm-hmm. um, we're, we're both in the, we both use storytelling as a method in both teaching and learning, so we're going to start writing about that. Well, fabulous. Well, Jane, thank you for being with us today on Lady Conversations. I love having you here. I love the stories that you're writing, and you are making such a contribution to the world. So I can't wait to talk to you again. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And remember, everyone, to think big, the world to be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.